Um, get yourself a lawyer. Get a lawyer to look at your contract uh, and ask a lot of questions. Welcome to Best of Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in TV and film. And, of course, learning all the dirty little secrets of Hollywood. Today, my guest is Catherine Isabel Easton, and she is awesome. She uh, came through New York, actually Syracuse, but she attended the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York City. She started a production company uh, called Aberrant Behavior. I got a <laughs> lovely name for that. Uh, you know, we should talk about that. She also created her first romantic drama uh, feature film, Borrelia Borellis, which actually just screened at the La Femme International Film Festival. She's got a distribution deal with Freestyle Media, and so that feature is going to be launched on VOD platforms January 18th of 2022. Super excited for that. Her second feature is a gritty L.A. noir thriller called Valley Heart, and it is in post-production, so hopefully we'll be all thrilled to see what that one is all about. And uh, she has also been placed on the Academy Nickel Quarter finalist lists twice and has trended on the blacklist. She also went in for the semis on final draft big break. So let's talk. Oh my gosh. What have you been up to? <laughs> Funny you should ask. I was actually typing away right up until the, our, our little uh, talk right now. Um, I'm currently actually um, working in conjunction with um, Epic Level Entertainment right now uh, through a friend of mine who uh, works there. And I am developing a horror film franchise. <laughs> Um, so that has been very all-consuming and crazy and fun and new because um, it's not really my genre, my normal genre. Um, and so that's been a really fun challenge, but I had a good idea, and so I'm, I'm just going with it. And so I'm in a bungalow right now living the dream of just writing 14 hours a day and losing my mind. You know, it's great. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Can you give us a little piece of what that franchise is about? A little snippet? It is called Sacred Feminine, and it is about witches. Mm. Yes. And we love covens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of research. And also, there's a lot of talk. Uh, I don't know. I think that in the zeitgeist right now, we've been talking a lot about uh, the rise of the feminine. Right? Like we're sort of entering this new age of Aquarius. I've been deep in it, so I may sound really esoteric and a little nutty. Um, but uh, just That's to explain okay. that. It's the idea that, you know, the feminine is rising in all of us. And we all have a feminine. Men have a feminine and women have a masculine. It's just sort of like the balance of it. So it's, expl it's exploring those themes. That's true. Although at the turn of the century, when it rose last time, we were all burned at the stake and drowned. Yes. <laughs> we were all killed. Yes. <laughs> we explored that as well, because we're still living in a society, I think, that is very afraid of a powerful woman. Uh, and we like to put labels on them. We like to put labels on them and make them othered. And and we're and really, it's just we're afraid of them. We're afraid. It's of them. it's true. I mean, if you have a tough woman, they go, oh, she's a b i t c h, you know. And and if that same attitude and delivery was in a body of a man, it would be, oh, well, he's just tough. 
right? No, he's, he's really good at his job. Uh, yeah, yeah, but she's really nasty. <laughs> you just don't want to cross her. No, I know, I know. I actually worked a job uh, with my husband, who is a cinematographer. We got hired uh, together. I technically brought him on this job. It was for uh, Legendary Studios. And long story short, um, we got our paychecks in the mail. I never asked about money. Never, never did. I just assumed, I don't know what I assumed. I thought, this is a lovely thing to get paid. I'm not going to ask what he's getting paid. He got paid almost twice as much as I did. And I directed and edited this thing. And so these are things I think about. We need to talk more about these things. We do <laughs> need to talk about the unjust unfairness of pay in the entertainment industry still happening today, especially mm -hmm. with uh, females taking over editorial, cinematography um, uh, positions, directorial positions, and they're mm -hmm. still notoriously underpaid um, yeah. by, a lot compared a to lot. mine. A, a lot. lot. Oh my gosh, so much. And when I think of how much work you, I've, I've, I've done and the amount of uh, just man hours that go into directing anything, all the pre-production, post-production, all of it, not to discount our cinematographers. We love them and we need them, but the you know their work is pretty much done on set. And um, it was a really interesting lesson for me, I guess, to go, you know, we need to ask more questions. We need to get on the same page about certain things. And because um, that's just, I just thought that was absolutely abhorrent, if I will. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Well, let's talk about abhorrent. So why, so you formed a production company uh, because you had had a lot of success in creating short content that had gone through the festival circuit and had won mm -hmm. many awards. And then mm -hmm. out of your brain, you said, hey, let's take this to the next level. And you created this um film production company but yeah. where let's talk first about the name yeah. how did you come up with the name and then let's talk about the <laughs> the company it was sort of a thesaurus thing because i i had this thing for years where i would you know i would work on my small little projects that i would do for no money or very little money i'd put my money into them and you know try the festivals and fulfill myself and then i would get hired as a producer a director or a writer on certain things or an actress um, and just get really, oh, I don't know if angry is the right word, but you know, you see the injustices of things and um, how poorly certain sets are run and how women are treated. Uh, in particular, how, you know, even in leadership roles, a lot of the time, uh, I can't tell you how many times I got talked down to or sweetie or honey or any of that stuff. And I was just angry. I was just angry. And I was also working on a lot of content that I didn't really care too much about. It was a paycheck and it was fine. Um, but I just was, it sort of lit my fires to do my own stuff. And for a while I called it, and this is terrible, but I, in my brain, I called it productive hatred. Cause I was like, I'm going to write this script because I hate this other one that I'm working on and I, but I need to get money. So I'm, oh. So that was where that came from. And then I was like, well, I can't call a production company productive hatred. You shouldn't have hatred. <laughs> right. Probably not a good idea. Right. It's not the best <laughs> business move. So then uh, I started thinking about other plays on that and abhorrent behavior just sort of just it spoke to me because it's like, how dare she? Right. <laughs> right. My how dare she make a stand? How dare she have a backbone? How dare she have a point of view? Yeah. Shame on her. Well, let's talk about females at the center. Let's talk about um, this lovely film, Borrelia Borellis. 
and kind of give us a snippet of that storyline and then how that came to be. How did you create that? Where did that idea uh, come from? Actually, um, well, thank you. Um, I, the, 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 the main seed of Borrelia borealis came after I was diagnosed with Lyme disease in January of 2020. I had been sick for about 25 years and did not know it. I had been misdiagnosed with everything under the sun and I was on death's door. I was, uh, my digestive system had shut down. My lymphatic system was not working. I was at high risk for a stroke and a heart attack. I was 35 at the time, you know, so these things are not, <laughs> should not be happening because my inflammation levels were so high. And I had recently gone through a string of just really sort of just traumatic things in my life going through um, therapy, <laughs> old childhood wounding and death of parents and things like that that we all you know eventually do deal with and so at this point I had I had made some lists you know like you said I made Academy Nickel I had sold a script here and there and I had sort of done it the quote-unquote right way and I still was not getting the phone calls I thought okay I'm getting on the list someone's gonna call at some point and it just didn't happen and so I was angry <laughs> and confused and so I thought all right I need to just do something totally, totally different. And I felt like if I didn't express myself and the feelings that I was having, I was going to die. That was also going to contribute to my death. So I, I honestly, part of the other thought process was, well, if I am this sick and I may actually die, I need to tell this story. Um, I need to get this out of my body. And so I sat down and I wrote an outline, a very detailed outline that was about 90 pages, not a script, used a lot of pictures, used a lot of different references, sort of wrote it like a novel, gave some prompts. And then I called on all of my best actors and I said, let's act this out and see what happens. Oh, wow. That's an interesting approach. Yeah. So did you give them the narrative 90 page kind of long form out of your head? Yes, I did. And it was basically my story. It was something that I could easily grab at. It's about 98% my story um, and things that I knew I would, I would be able to express in a real way, in a truthful, raw way for, for, you know, for better or for worse. Um, there was a lot that we didn't use, of course. <laughs> and then I sat down and with each scene after that, I wrote down a, a beats just lots and lots and lots of beats and a little bit of dialogue and a little bit of both. And then I thought, let's sort of patch this together and see what happens. And it was a, it was a glorious experiment. It could have absolutely failed. <laughs> and on some levels, I mean, there were plenty of takes that were like, well, that's not, that's not going to make it in. Um, and so we had a lot of footage. Um, but what we were able to do is we were able to carve out uh, a, a story from that, that to me felt very, true and and raw and and vital to tell interesting so so you photographed this kind of long form improv right mm -hmm. with your with your actors and then did you take that and start after you did your beats and threw in some dialogue did you then carve it into an official script how, how did how did that process work for yeah. you <laughs> so we started with the improv and i at first it was sort of again it was the beginning of the pandemic i had just started treatment and 
we had all the time in the world because the world was shut down. And so I really looked at it as, as an experiment of sorts. Um, and my, again, my husband being a cinematographer, we had the cameras, we had the things. So I was lucky enough in, in that regard. And so as I would say about the second day we started shooting, um, which you've seen the film. So it is, uh, the date night scene where, where it's that, that romantic date night scene um, where it was like a lightning bolt came down and I was like, I know exactly what this is. I know what I'm doing now. I know what this is. I know exactly how to form this. And then I went back in and started really, really, be, you know, writing the script out, getting the voiceovers down. And, and then it became much more pinpointed, but I kind of had to see what was like, dip my toe in the water and go, is this even a thing? Like, I don't know. Is this, is this crazy? And then once my actors became game and it became this other sort of thing outside of us, it was bigger than us, all of us, uh, that's when the real work started. <laughs> okay, all right. And, and and so did you implement having, since you were in COVID, I'm assuming you work via Zoom or satellite mm -hmm. with everyone, did you have them interact, tape it, take that dialogue? How, how was that the process for you? Or can you describe that process? Yeah. yeah. It was all, they were all over the country. So um, Maya Reeves, who plays our doctor, was in North Carolina. Jack Herholt, who plays the best friend, was in New York. And my lovely Anthony Goes, my love interest, was in Rhode Island. And so we recorded the screen uh, on my little MacBook Air. And you can record Zooms, you can record FaceTime. So we recorded that. But then we also, at the same time, because, you know, a lot of this was sort of one and done. You know, you can go back and do different takes on things, but the nature of this film sort of felt like capturing magic in a bottle in a way. Um, and so we had to really, really make sure we were covering all of our bases. And so my husband would be on the other side, capturing me in a cinematic way and we'd get creative and also, you know, shoot, shoot into a mirror so it, we could make it sort of look like, you know, here's a face that's, that, that's right next to her, that they're talking. Um, and so little things like that really helped, I think, add to it. Yeah, it was it, visually, it was very interesting to watch. And for those that are listening in, uh, you know, there's opportunity out there to to see this coming January since she's gotten distribution on it, which is great for her and also great for those that are able to see the film. So you'll see what we're talking about kind of after the podcast. Um, so. So now, as as directing them, how did you handle that directing with your, you know, husband in the background, coming up with the clever shots? Uh, how were you <laughs> implementing the direction for the actors? So we had a lot of rehearsal uh, sessions. We had a lot of like pre gaming, so to speak, of just like getting on the same page of of what, how, the mood of it and how we wanted it to feel. So by the time we were actually rolling, um, my husband and I did a very extensive shot list. Um, and so we were really, really planned out the way that you would, you know, a, a typical shoot. We had shot lists for everything. The only difference was, you know, it was like I was doing all the set decoration and all of the hair and the makeup and he's doing, you know, sound and doing everything like that. Um, and so when I was in it directing them, um, it was really, uh, I don't want to say it was easy because it was definitely, you know, you're in character and then you have to kind of step out of character and go, well, well, one night we had an earthquake. So that was fun. I was like, well, that's, we need to 
<laughs> everything just got knocked over. So <laughs> we need to start that again. <laughs> um, things like that. But it was actually because I was so, all of the people that I worked with, there were three actors that called in um, that were the main characters with me. And we were, we had already worked together so much before that we were so intuitive with each other um, that they knew how to make me better as an actor. And then I was able to, you know, step out outside of myself every now and then and go, uh, all right, we need to go a little, we need to try this, adjust this over here, be a little more angry, be a little more paranoid, be, you know, but they, um, I don't know, I think there's something to be said about working with people that you've worked with before in a situation like this, because it sort of uh, takes out some of the guesswork, I suppose. Yeah, well, I'm assuming it made it, it made it easier for you as an actor interacting with those that have experience with you, but then also as a director being able to kind of shortcut that communication with them. So, oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Now, this is a real um unusual method that you used to make this film, and it's not a method that you have used prior to. So, how does this differ to usually how you construct your uh written scripts? Yeah, it was totally different. Completely and totally different because I needed to allow a certain looseness to it for myself selfishly for my performance um otherwise if i would have been working with uh you know in a typical way where here's the script even if i'm acting in it and directing it you know it's very precise and here's where you're moving and this is your mark um which you do need to do when you're on set but because we had sort of the luxury of like well she's sitting at a computer and she's talking to people that may or may not be there. Um, uh, we had a little bit more wiggle room with that. Um, so I had to kind of just throw away, I just was completely intuitive with it. I wanted it to feel like a girl that was having a conversation with, with people, right? So that's just what I did. And I, and because we were able to plan the shot list the way that we did, we always had Matt on a slider. We had planned these really cinematic shots. He, I'm also lucky in this sense, he is also very intuitive with me as well. So this this speaks to the DP director relationship of I've been working with him for 12 years at this point. He kind of knows how to, oh, I know when she's going to cry. I got it. I'm pushing in. I'm doing this. And so like it, all of these elements that are not typical and I was very lucky to have all came together for this. But I do also realize that's sort of, again, it's like capturing magic in a bottle, lightning in a bottle, I suppose. Right. Well, let's talk about, uh, so you've taken this out on the festival circuit. And through the yeah. festival circuit, is that how you secured distribution? Or let's talk about how distribution came into play for this. Well, it's so funny you should ask. Um, so we had we submitted to all of like the major like we did every single festival i mean i think we did you know we submitted to like probably over a hundred um and we're still waiting to hear back from some and la femme was the very first festival that we got into and i think i told you that which was just the most most amazing day ever to get that phone call and i was crying and eating crackers i was on my period and i was like we got in the festival we got we got it we got it <laughs> a big deal it's still a big deal um and so uh about i would say er, around spring of this year after we had heard about 20 no's i started to panic a little i was like well 
I don't know if we're going to get in anywhere. And I had seen this as a festival film, but it just, I wasn't sure. I started, I got really, really nervous. And so our friend Jimmy, who works over at Marvel, uh, was like, well, hey, why don't, you know, uh, why don't you try and get a distribution deal? And I was like, how do you even do that? I have no idea. Um, and he was like, well, I know a couple of people. And he sort of gave us some numbers and whatnot. And I sort of reached out to a few just to be like, I don't know, like, do you want to watch my movie? And I could not believe how many people got back to us. They're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll watch, you know, Neon and all these other places. A24, they're like, yeah, we'll watch your movie. And I was like, oh, my God, you can just do this? Okay. So I did that. And, of course, you know, we didn't we didn't get in with them. But um, long story short, we reached out to Freestyle Media, and they were interested um, very, almost around the same time that I ended up getting to, into La Femme. So maybe that was a very lucky time of year for me. <laughs> I should remember that. <laughs> um, and then we started going down that rabbit hole of just figuring out, oh, this is how this works. Because as artists, we don't, I had never dealt with the, the business thing. Boy, oh boy, that's a whole other can of worms. So. Well, let's talk about that can of worms because because a lot of filmmakers think that, wow, once I get distribution, I've made it. And I'm going to get an agent and a manager and everyone's going to be coming to me and I'm going to be the rock star because I have a distribution deal. And it doesn't happen that way. And then also a lot of filmmakers are shocked uh, by percentages, mm -hmm. by caps, by delivery schedules that are mandated once you ink that contract. Yeah. So what was your, like, talk me through your, your aha moment uh, <laughs> of, of, of dealing with distribution and the caps, if you can mention those, or at least mm -hmm. the process yeah, of that. Yeah. Uh, no, I think this, I would have loved to have had this information when I started going down <laughs> this rabbit hole. Um, so basically, um, I was told that this was a pretty standard deal for a first, you know, a, a film such as mine, which at that point had, you know, we didn't get into Sundance. We didn't, you know, we didn't do that. Whole right. Time. An indie, an indie film that has success in the festival circuit, but not at one of the 10 big right. festivals. Which this yeah. industry can be very, you know, a little snooty about that. Snooty. And very not, snooty. It, it is. And it's, it's all snooty and stuff. snotty. Thank mm -hmm. you. I mean, I, it is true. It is very true. And I, fi I find it all a little bit ridiculous, all of that. Well, did you get into this one? Well, then it doesn't, you know, and it's, it's so silly. But we started working with a really wonderful um, young guy uh, named Chris who really just championed our film. He loved our film so much and, and just really, really cared about the story and about us. And so he walked us through everything, uh, having not gone through this process at all. And so essentially, we got sent over the contract. And at this point, I was going off of information uh, from another friend who had just sold a film. Um, and it was a different genre than mine. It was a crime thriller. And it had one or two recognizable faces. I wouldn't say names, but you're like, I know that guy, maybe kind of. And he got just a buyout. He ended up getting almost $200,000. And I was like, well, maybe that sounds really great. Like, that could be us. And that was not the case at all. So basically. 
Right, because it wasn't an apple. Because it, it wasn't an apple to apple comparison. You know, uh, psychological thriller horrors with a couple of names is a whole different thing, and a genre for that, and a demand for that, as opposed to an indie, you know, romantic type film that you're soliciting. Right, and that has Zoom elements to it because people can be. They're like, oh, is it a Zoom movie? And it's not a Zoom movie, but it does have Zoom elements. And so there's these things, and you know, there are no uh, you know, names in this film. It is it is a bunch of wonderful actors that, uh, but you've never probably really seen them before. Um, and so we entered into this deal where uh, you spoke of caps, right? So um, they, I, the cap is twenty thousand. So that means. We, which I've been told is quite, I've sent this to everyone that I knew and they're like, that's, that's, that's very low. That's a good it's deal. It's a good deal. And I, because you read it and you're like, I don't, what? That's it. I don't have no idea. You know, you're just completely in the dark and it's different for everyone. So it's $20,000. So that basically essentially means like once the film makes that much, then we would start making money after that. Um, and then. Right. So, so for those that are listening in, she's talking about a marketing cap. So that's a cap in which marketing dollars are used by the distribution company to help sell it to buyers in foreign markets. And once that's capped, then she starts to realize a profit. Right. Exactly. And then after that, the percentage is 70-30 for us. So we get... Which is also for an India, very good split. Um, not the most brilliant split but a very decent really good split and and so i think a lot of filmmakers go oh, what 70 30 i should be 80 20 oh my god and they don't realize that that's a that's a good split you should be doing a happy dance for that oh thank you oh that makes me feel even better and you know at a certain point too i mean again it's it is so different everyone has a different story and a different way that they go about making their films um, and some people sink hundreds of thousands of dollars into, into, into making their first indie. And we did not do that um, because we owned the cameras and we owned a lot of the equipment and we were able to do a lot ourselves because we are professional filmmakers. And so all said, it's, you know, uh, I don't even know if I would even put a monetary value on it so much as it is. I just wanted people to see it. I want, and I didn't want to put it on YouTube. And so I am so grateful that we have a company that champions us and they champion independent film. They really care. They care about the filmmaker, their filmmakers themselves, and they just get it. They just really, really get it. I never at any point felt like, oh God, are we like, is this, am I signing my life away? You know, that happens in Hollywood sometimes. You're like, hey, is this the right call? And it was definitely the right call. Right. So for, for people that are listening in on the podcast, I guess they have to understand part of finding a good distribution company isn't that you're finding a Lionsgate because a Lionsgate may not give you the time of day. They may want your film, but they're not going to be passionate over your film. And so they're not going to give that extra care and love uh, to you, the filmmaker, and your film, like some of the smaller distribution companies that are passionate over your film. So you were really lucky to find somebody who championed your film that has passion for your film, because that passion will will result in them pushing it to territories and buyers that may not have been reached in a more standard 
big company distribution right. that may go, we're not reaching out to that territory. Why bother? Exactly. No, exactly. And they've been so transparent about everything. I can't tell you how long the email chain is. It's like 300 messages over the months of me being like, I feel like this is maybe kind of a silly question, but could I? And they're like, no, it's not a silly question. Ask away. And so I feel like I got a really good education for the next time of just like, all right, I understand how this works now a lot better. And I think these are, you can kind of only know these things after you sort of step into the fire of it in a way. True. And I think uh, also let's talk about deliverables because a lot of filmmakers don't understand that once you sign the contract, like before the ink is dry, you're getting 20 emails from the distribution company going, okay, and this is the deliverable, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this. And you're like, what? I, ju I just signed like two seconds ago. Yeah, and there's like timelines for it because everyone kind of told me that. They're like, oh, well, you better, you better wait because I, you know, I, I was simultaneously literally shooting my second feature while we were going through this deliverable uh, phase with Borrelia, which I don't recommend that uh, for anyone to ever. So by the way, that's a full-time job for a while. Um, so yeah, it's insane. The amount of content that you have to create after you sign. So let's talk about that. Tell the, those listening in, in the independent world, what those are so that they have an inkling of that experience. Yeah. So it is a lot of uh, still f f uh, photos of your film. Um, they want, they want, oh my gosh, I think we needed like over 120 um, and that we, you need to color and they need to look very, very good. Um, so that was extremely time consuming. You have to do synopsis, synopses, over synopses, a million of them. You have to do the one that's 50 words. You have to do the one that's 200 words. You have to do the one that's 500 words. You have to do like a whole page. Like, and they're all varying different ones and they're all very time consuming. Um, we also had to do sort of like a PowerPoint presentation of like, this is who we are. This is why you should care. These are all of our actors. This is how we did this. Here's some behind the scenes. Here's, it's anything that you can think of from a marketing perspective that like, if, you know, and thank God we I guess we are living in the age of, of social media where, you know, we're all kind of doing it ourselves on Instagram to a certain degree. Um, so we had already kind of had some of this stuff, um, but, but, they, not in, I, but not in one like file ready to go going here, <laughs> click, here's your file. Yeah, no. And I guess, you know, the silly me, my thought was, I, I always thought by the time you get to this point, by the time you get a distribution deal, some other person's just gonna do this for you. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to hire them for my stuff. Who would be doing that? No, no one. No, you're getting stuck with this stuff. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, I thank, thank the heavens that I, uh, I, my sister and my my husband are both very good with like things like Photoshop and copy editing and things like that. Because um, me as the filmmaker, I feel like I'm a lot more. Uh, scattered and more like, you know, I, it's uh, not my forte. Let's just put it that way. So, um, but you kind of have, you kind of have to learn how to do this stuff because
because it is unbelievably time consuming. And then you also have to go through E&O insurance and, and you, there's money. So that's the other thing too. I had always thought, okay, we made it to this point. Now it's in their hands and they'll just pay for whatever needs. No, that's not the case. Um, so, you know, you have to pay for something called the, you know, insurance, uh, that's, you know, hmm, we got a good deal on ours. I think it was 1500. Oh, that is a good deal. Yeah. And, and, and for those listening in, sometimes the distributors will roll that in to your caps. They'll do, uh, you know, a 3000 or a 2000 cap to purchase ENO insurance through them. Some will say, no, 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 that's your issue. You do it. It's outside of the contract. So it really depends on your negotiation process. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. Let's also talk about what most filmmakers don't understand is once you turn that film over to a distribution company, they start recutting. They start recutting a trailer. Uh, they start cutting TV versions of your film, cutting out that beautiful one shot that you just love that thinks <laughs> that you think the whole film pivots on that they go, yeah, we're editing that out. We don't need it. Um, anyway. How was that process for you? It was, you know, we, I, I don't know if this is the standard experience for everyone. Again, I think it's probably different for everyone, but um, we, they actually loved the trailer that we already had. And then, um, and so they kept that, but then they wanted a darker version of it. And they actually gave us the option. They said, clearly you guys professionals you've done this before could you cut a version of this that plays more into the darker horror aspects of it because this is not a horror movie but there are some things that are scary that happen and they wanted to sort of play into that which obviously understandable that's a genre that people will pay money to you know see a lot more than maybe perhaps a romantic drama and so that's what so they actually gave us the option and we were like yes we would much rather do that ourselves, even though it was an insane amount of work. Um, but we at least were able to keep that. So as far as the recutting is concerned, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Hope, hope we'll see what happens with that. I guess when it's on VOD. So I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, okay, that's good. Um, what also usually they ask for are the uh, music licensing, um, syndicate. Uh, sorry, the um, sync licensing as well. Yeah. Um, can you talk about these other elements that you were required to, you know, put forth? Yes. Yes. <laughs> upon a moment's notice. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and I have an interesting situation with this. So, um, as far as the music licensing is concerned, I had um, my my cousin who is a beautiful composer, his name is Justin V. David, uh, composed this film for us and we paid him, you know, to do that. And he gave us just the most beautiful score we could have ever imagined. And so that was lovely and obviously, so that was taken care of and we had the licenses for that and all of that. However, because I'm me, um, I really, I really, the way I edit, the way I write, it's always to music. Music is always a part of this process for me. And so I have this band uh, that I love called Lady Tron, and they've been around for about 20 years, and they're an English sort of electro band that I reached out to their manager, and um, I wanted to license a few of their songs because it was just, I, I had cut, I had cut certain things into it, and I was like, I cannot see it without this song. It has to be this song. I don't care. What is it? $2,000, $3,000. We did didn't really spend that much on the budget anyhow because of the camera stuff that we had so I was like we're just doing it so we got we got the rights 
for three Ladytron songs, which, you know, I mean, they're amazing. They're not the Rolling Stones. So like, you know, that's, that's different if it's like, you know, something else like that. Um, the Beatles, right. Exactly. So we ended up uh, getting the rights to utilize their songs for the festival run. And yeah, so it was a small amount of money to use for the festival run, which is amazing because when, you know, you want people to see that version of it. Then we had to, once we got the distribution deal, it was a lot more money. It was probably right. You had to renegotiate. Exactly. And that was about $25,000 more than what we had. Um, and so as far as when what you'll see on VOD, you are not seeing the Lady Tron version. So please come see your movie in a festival that, you know, you'll see the Lady Tron version. Um, so we had to recut it. We ended up using um, just Justin, our our composer, gave us you know some you know something in the some some similar feeling yeah. yeah, and it doesn't have that sort of rock and roll feel you know that the the festival version has, but it still completely works and it's still beautiful and I'm still really proud of it, and so that's how we did it with that. But that was also a very interesting process because again, my thought process was oh well, when someone buys my movie, they'll just they'll just buy it my the music that I want and everything. <laughs> They'll just handle it for me. Yes. yes. It'll that just be is also yeah. not the case. Not the case. Not not the case. And, and for people listening in, um, when you are negotiating music for the festival circuit, at that time you should also negotiate distribution um, a distribution deal. So you're negotiating for both the festival run and how much it's going to cost you up front for that, but then also negotiate once you get distribution what the music's going to cost at that time. Because if you're negotiating for both of those simultaneously, you'll get a better deal overall than trying to come back going, oh, we've got distribution. And then they go, yes, that's a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> Lessons, lessons. These are good things. I wish I knew. Right, right, right. Well, two, 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 two questions. So, uh, what bit of advice can you give to a young filmmaker, either securing distribution for the first time or making their first feature? What is your takeaway that you can share as as what not to do, what to do to these people listening? Yeah. Um, get yourself a lawyer, get a lawyer to look at your contract, uh, and ask a lot of questions. I think even, um, you know, even a lot of times we're sent things, even just getting a yes. Yes. We would like to distribute your movie. Oh, okay. Oh my God. Should I just sign it? Should I should just sign it right now? Because what if, uh, no, <laughs> we waited like three months before we sign that thing um, for a multitude of reasons. You know, we, we really, we poured over it ourselves. We asked a lot of questions to people in the industry. Uh, we had an entertainment lawyer look over it for us and they brought up some interesting things and certain little tweaks got, you know, we got to tweak a few little things here and there. And um, so I, I would just say, you know, when, when you've made your first feature, um, it is a very exciting thing. It is, you're in a different, you're in a different realm now. It is a really hard thing to make a feature and in and of itself, just celebrate that. Oh my gosh. Um, but that panic thing happens sometimes where you go, oh, 
Is anyone ever going to see it? And okay, so they really want it. Should I just, you know, just take your time with it. Take your time and ask a lot of questions because there are no dumb questions. There are none. And um, if they really want your film, uh, they'll take the time to answer the questions for you and, and, and make sure that you understand and that you feel comfortable, you know, is my Very good. And a last question. So what's a dirty little secret you can share with us that you have learned through your travels in the land of entertainment? Oh, goodness. Okay. All right. This is a directing tip for all, all the young female directors out there. Um, what I have learned, <laughs> uh, here's the dirty secret. Sometimes you will work with um, men um, whether they are in a crew position, uh, this is, is an example generally for me for, for the actors, but uh, sometimes you will work with an actor, whether they're a named actor or not a named actor, it doesn't matter, they're just an actor, um, who think, you know, well, I've been on more sets than this girl, or maybe this is the first time she's done something like this, or this girl's never worked with somebody like me, or, you know. Um, and you can, it can be intimidating. It can be intimidating for sure, um, especially when a man, perhaps maybe an older man, um, is trying to tell you what your vision is. Um, it is very important that you stand your ground. It is very important that you know what your vision is uh, going into this. And it's very important that yes, you stay malleable, but you also you stick to what that vision is. And as long as you're sticking to what your vision is and not somebody else's or compromising or this or that, uh, you're gonna be in good shape. And if that doesn't work, just exhaust them. Just do just do uh, 28 takes and exhaust a lot of them. <laughs> just finish them and uh, you'll get what you need. <laughs> That's that's funny. That's funny. Um, that's the first time I've heard that one and, and, and not so bad. So, um, so the takeaway is, is, is have a vision, uh, and have a backbone. And if that doesn't work, then just drill them to death. Exhaust the hell out of them. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want to say thank you so much. Uh, for coming on Best in Fest, Catherine Isabel Easton, with her film that you can see on SVOD. Is there any uh, socials you want to shout out to the people listening in? Thank you. So my handle is at Catherine Isabel, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-E-I-S-A-B-E-L-L-E. And then we also have at Borrelia Borealis, which is just the hardest thing in the world to spell, and I'm not sure if I could spell it right now, but... Perhaps we can put that in the comments or something like that. Uh, it's Borrelia uh, Lyme disease uh, is what uh, the bacteria is. So Google it. Exactly. It's B-O-R-R-E-L-I-A-B-O-R-E-A-L-I-S. Thank those. you. I still don't know. <laughs> I have to write it out to know what it looks like. No, no, that, that's okay. You know, that's what I'm here for is just to like help you out. Uh, <laughs> um, for those for those that are uh, interested in listening to the other uh, episodes we have on Best in Fest, uh, don't forget to download us. Don't forget to like us. Don't forget to give us the thumbs up. Review us on iTunes. And um, comment. We love to have comments. And um Comment. We love to have comments. Those listening on Best in Fest.